This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hello and welcome to the Back of the Nest Review Show. I'm often referred to as Chris Hambling and I'm your host as we look back at a disappointing 2-0 defeat for Palace. It was high-flying Leicester City who came to Sellers and took away three points with a comfortable 2-0 win. Defensive frailties mixed with a toothless attack were Palace's undoing and we'll look back at the key moments. We also have plenty of comments from you, the listeners, to help us through the show. We'll be back in just a moment. No paywall, no subscription. Back of the nest. Fan-created podcasts, videos and articles. Free forever. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Right, it's time to introduce my panel. First up, DR Kernaz. Hello. Hello. It's always good to hear the dulcet tones that you possess. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine. How are you? I'd said it before the show, but you do sound calm and I, I don't know. It feels like I haven't spoken to you in ages. Is everything all right? Like, it Everything's weird. good, mate. I've, uh, I've switched to uh, skimmed milk. Oh, I, I've stopped mm. milk, by the way. Have um, you? Uh, all kinds of milk? Uh, yeah, all kinds. Well, I could have soya milk, but I don't want to have cow hormones in my body anymore. So I decided no. to stop. Yeah. You had almond milk. I did. I tried it, but oh, I don't know how to describe it. It has like a dry, um, not yeah. It's, it's a bit dry. Like I don't, <laughs> it sounds crazy, but the milk itself, it, the it, aftermath, it, it, it gets a bit dry. Like it's a, it is a liquid. Um, yeah, I know. But, but the aftermath, I mean, like you know, when aftermath. you have after yeah. taste, after yeah, okay, after birth, yeah, yeah. Um, like example, when you have flavored water. After you drink it, like especially strawberry ones, mm. doesn't it, it doesn't your throat get a bit dry, or is it just me? Well, <laughs> I kind of know what you mean. The kind of sort of almost like a fur kind of thing with mm. certain stuff. Yeah. Um, so, I yeah. think we need to need to think about this a bit more and perhaps talk about it more in the future. But um, that baby milk, have you tried that? Baby milk, <laughs> what's that? Well, no, so is, we, the, the correct the correct answer is you can't milk a baby. That's what you're supposed to say, and then then we move on. Mike. Um, okay. <laughs> hi, Mike. How are you doing, Mike Scott? Oh, sorry to interrupt your milk pod. Um, <laughs> well, good to get two minutes of milk chat. Uh, I'm 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 a bit shit today. I, I've got news that uh, the guitarist from my first band who I lived with for a couple of years died of a heart attack. 
age 37. Um, which, I mean, which, that's obviously condolences, but I think also that is a terrifying thing to hear as a overweight 39-year-old, I have to say. Yeah, I mean, I presume he had health problems, I don't know, but he, he left with a, a 10-month kid behind. So, yeah, sad times. I I, um, I think I went to one of my first ever Palace away games. I was, I was obviously still a kid. Uh, he was a Forest fan. Um, went to Palace Forest. I think I was racking my brains. I think it was the season, the Stockport uh, miracle season. So, what, 2000, 2001. Um, I think the only away games I've been to before that was when we played Wimbledon and I'd been nominally an away fan. Um, but yeah, we, we also won 4 0, I think, in that game as well. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, sad times. Slightly, slightly uh, lower tone than the milk. Um, it is sombre. I was wondering if we could get back to milk. Obviously, you, you don't drink uh, animal milk either, do you? Uh, no, I, I, I'm vegan for 16 years now. Uh, yeah. So, um, what's your favourite milk? <laughs> uh, chocolate, chocolate out soy milk. Goes great. Well, there. There we wait. What? Oh, I suppose. Hang on a second. Yeah. I need to think about. I'm just going to think that through. Uh, I shouldn't really take the time for this show to do it, but I'm just going to do it right now. Hold on my sec. Yep, that sound. That seems like it might work. Does it combine? Uh, I think we've got to stop now, otherwise this will become a milk podcast. But I am. <laughs> I my brain is full of milk related questions, and I may have to ask you them after the recording finishes. Okay. Um, so I'm pretty sure the listeners, most of whom, most of them, won't want to hear 90 minutes of milk chat. Um, but if you feel differently, do write in. You can contact contact us on all the usual social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram. Um, just search Back of the Nest, you'll find us. And um, obviously, there's also email, if you're using that, uh, if you're a kind of futurist. Um, hi at backofthenest.com is our email address. And of course, if you want to contact us on WhatsApp, just add the number 0203. Five seven five one two six six. You can leave us a voice message, send us some text messages, um, which Mikey will thoroughly enjoy um, because you know he likes social contact. Um, yeah. So right, let's let's crack on, shall we? Um, so first up, we have um, the, the sort of post-match thoughts, a look back at the game in general, really, and we're going to kick this off with hearing from Ebo. Uh, hello, yeah, it's Ebo again. Post-match thoughts, really. Um... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, a 2 0 loss, but it doesn't, I don't feel that bad about it. I think we played quite well. A um, couple of mistakes led to the goals. Um, just didn't really see us scoring. I think I think in the first half we created a few chances, looked fairly promising, but just couldn't really see a real goal threat. Ultimately, I think um, IU worked his socks off as normal. I mean, we've come to expect that. I thought MacArthur had a very good game um, getting forward um, you know not having Andros possibly would have been nice if he'd have been playing if he'd have been fit but um, you know unfortunately that wasn't to be um, yeah I don't know I mean they're a good team aren't they Leicester they uh, they look really solid at the back I think uh, the loss of Maguire has probably been a bit of a bonus for them to be quite honest I don't think they miss him. I think they've got probably a better defensive partnership now than they did last season with him there. Uh, I think the fans clearly think that too, from the, judging from some of their songs. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they're going to finish. Oh, I can see them easily finishing top four. Um, I think they're going to capitalise on some of the bigger clubs. Um, sort of their, uh, their, their trials and tribulations this year. I think, you know, the likes of Tottenham, Chelsea's 
obvious transfer ban and all that sort of thing. I think Leicester could do quite well. They they look they look solid throughout, really, don't they? They get the ball in midfield. They've got players that can can you know can hurt you, cause a bit of damage. Which you know I think that's where we haven't really got that. We've got you know a very solid midfield, but not the sort of players that can really turn uh, you know defence into attack very quickly like they can. But yeah, you know I don't know. Often you come out of a two 0 defeat feeling like. Miserable, but I thought we looked all right. But Wilf had a bit of a quiet game, you know, did he? Huffed and puffed a bit. Okay, so plenty in there from Ebo, but I want to start with the the kind of opening feeling that he had, if I may, gentlemen, and that was that he came out of that game not feeling too bad about the result. Um, you know, I, I think I, I know what he means. At the end of the game, I felt I was definitely disappointed with, with how we approached the game in a number of ways, but I couldn't help but feel that Certainly for spells, we were very, very competitive, if, if not threatening. Um, I didn't feel that they were miles better than anything, but I, I was definitely, I say, disappointed that that they were better than us, and, and I had to take that really. It's always disappointing when Palace lose, um, and we've lost to we've lost to a team that we beat four times in a row uh, the last two seasons, so uh, it hurt. But they're they're a, they're a good side, um, and they. They caught us certainly for the second goal. Um, they caught us with some excellent play, and I wasn't I wasn't too frustrated. Um, I think, like you say, it could have created a little bit more at ends. But um, I mean, nobody's that surprised we lost two 0 to Leicester, really. I think speaking for myself, I'm not disappointed. Well, I am disappointed, but I'm not really angry about it because going into the game, I, I was more worried about this game than the Arsenal game because Leicester are a great side. You saw what happened last week against Southampton and then also they beat Newcastle 5-0 in the season as well. So they're a great side and um, I expected something like this to happen. My prediction was 2-1 Leicester and it just shows the class. And also, I mean, if you look at the tactics, they've got the players and Brendan Rodgers have set them up in a way which... We'll talk about the second goal later on, but if you look at the second goal, for example, that they can play great football and they managed to open us up. So we lost to a better side and that's why I'm not really that angry about it. Yeah, I definitely agree with with a lot of that. And, you know, Ebo goes on to make that point about that, that Leicester are a good team. And he even made the point that getting rid of Harry Maguire for 70 million quid or whatever it was actually helped them in the end. And, and you know, I'm sure you know a bit about, uh, is it Sinchu? Um Sorry, yeah. you, sorry. Yeah, um, he plays for the national team as well. He's yeah, yeah, defender. he looks uh, he looks excellent. Yeah, uh, but you know they they definitely seem. I mean, if you look at, on paper and and also looking at how they play, they are an excellent side. They are the kind of they have the kind of squad that can push that that top six all season. Um, when you look at ourselves, we lack sort of key areas there. We lack enough competition in the fullback places. We we lack you know, a high quality forward player um, as much as we all love Jordan Ayew at the moment. Um, and we certainly lack, well, whether we lack creativity in the squad or we lack the willingness as a general rule to play um, with that kind of risk, st- risky strategy of, of allowing people to be creative, that's that's an argument for a discussion point for, for now and for probably the rest of the season. But, you know, we're, that's where we're short than, shorter than they are in terms of our competitiveness at the top end of the table. And I think one thing that stood out for me going into the season was the fact that players like James Madison, Ben Chilwell, when they were talking about it, they were actually 
saying how top four is a possibility. They already had that mentality going into the season, whereas we've started off this season and, yeah, we were sixth at one point, but we our aims were just to stay up. And I feel like that was relayed onto the players as well. And that's why we going into the season, it was so sour for us, whereas with Leicester, they went in with confidence and they just continued on with their confidence and that's why they're so high up in the table. I think it's a mentality issue as well and you can see it by the way that they play. Brendan Rodgers made sure that in pre-season they knew that they've got the talent to push on to the next level. Now, I'm not saying that our players should have had the mentality to go and finish in the top four because I don't think we've got the players for that but um, it didn't also help with all the drama that was going off in the last week of the window with Wilf. So, they had their advantage in that aspect um, of going no, with. I think I mean, it's a really good point that you make. So, you know, I, I do agree entirely with with mentality. I don't like to hear at times when we go into games and at the end, if we lose against a, a bigger team, Roy sort of goes, "Oh well, you know, you're not you're not really going to get anything at, at you know at such and such." And oh, they're such a talent, you know. And I get what he's doing. I get why he's saying it, and I, I try not to take it too literally, but. You know, I, I like say, you know, when Chris Wilder um, spoke after Sheffield United lost to Liverpool and he absolutely <laughs> destroyed his players because of it. He said, you know, it's great playing well, but you get nothing if you if you lose the game and it's not acceptable and the keeper made a mistake. I kind of prefer that approach. It makes me a bit more comfortable. And, you know, there are times where I do think our mentality can be questioned at how we're going into games and particularly if you're going into a game to not lose and you end up losing it. That's a very, very tough thing to watch on a regular basis. And that's that's why I struggle with our, our current um, methods. Having said that, you know, look at the resources that, that Leicester have. It's not that long ago that they actually did win the win, win the league and everyone thought it was a an aberration, but they've built on that. It's, a, it's built their reputation, but, you know, they're backed by a, by a wealthy family, you know, you, you know, tragedy, not, not aside, you know, tragedy aside, but it's, you know, that backing's still there. They can go out and sign big players. Tielemann was such a good signing. What an incredible player he is. He's absolutely ran the game yesterday for long periods. Um, I just wish we had him because I've, I've got, a, I think, a chant. You won't know it, DR, but Mike might. Um, but the, the song Sally Cinnamon by the Stone Roses, Yuri Tielemann fits brilliantly into that. And I'd like to sing that as a chant. So anyway, you want to speak, Mike? You, you carry on now. Just trying to think slightly cinnamon in my head now. Um, I, I think that would fit, but it's a little specialist, isn't it? Uh, mind you, that new that new Joe Ward chant, um, that's uh, that's creative. Um, they, mm. I, they've taken a song, the HF have taken a song like a song from like the late eighties that um, I barely knew anything about, and I think everyone kind of knows it, but they don't know what it is. Um, I think Joey Ford has said um, best uh, summed up people's thoughts on this. Um, there was quite a few negative comments on Twitter when we asked people to discuss things. We'll, we'll get into a few of those, I'm sure. But um, he just uh, replied to them saying, we had an off day against the side above us in the table. No biggie. And that is pretty much how I felt um, after I'd calmed down from being annoyed by Jamie Vardy. <laughs> we'll definitely talk about him in a bit. A couple of other little bits that um, that Ebo said. They were talking about the fact that um, you know comparing our midfield to Leicester's, and I think he's absolutely right, and that's kind of the point that I was making. Also talks about Wilf being a little bit quiet. Again, I suppose that's probably uh, you know symptom uh, symptom of our approach at times. I think he, he moved about the pitch a fair amount in terms of his the positions he was being asked to play, just to try and get involved, and we found that very difficult. And obviously teams will simply 
do what they can to keep him out of the game because he is our biggest threat. And we saw that once again from Leicester. But their focus was in, in keeping the ball and putting us under pressure, moving it quickly and, and just using, shall we say, their unfortunately su- superior passing abilities to, to get through us. And yeah, that I think that that's probably what hurt a little bit more than anything. But let's talk a little bit around the lineup. The decisions were, were made by Roy Hodgson. We, we understood, obviously, that... that Townsend was out injured. Everyone kind of got that. And I think most people expected the change to be made to bring Jeffrey Schlipp into the back into the team, which again, I'm, I'm okay with had it been in, in the way that he had been in the team before. But I have to say, gents, and I'm willing to hear any alternative views or confirmations on this, but I found it very frustrating to see us line up with MacArthur playing in a kind of right wing position so he's either right side of a four or right side of a three depending on whether we're in possession or not um and Jeffrey Schlepp was brought in central so Wilf can play on the left because Wilf is better on the left that does not feel to me like the best option given the available players and and I, I can think of two immediate options that I would have gone with differently understand why Roy won't um, maybe I'll get to those in a bit, but I'll let you jump in now, dear. Yeah, I mean, when you think of um, MacArthur's natural position, it definitely wasn't what he played um, or against Leicester. Um, but I mean, that doesn't mean that he can't play there. But it's not his best position. But yeah, I was, I was actually a bit intrigued by it because I didn't really expect us to adopt Maka in an advanced role like that. And I mean. I know how you feel about Jeffrey Schlott playing in, playing in midfield. And of course, I prefer him out wide than in midfield. But it didn't feel like Jeffrey Schlott played central midfield. It, it seemed like his role was to play behind Wilfred Zaha and try help him out, which unfortunately he didn't really do much much there as well. So I think it was with James MacArthur. Personally, I thought he was my man of the match. So I had no issues with him playing. Of course, he picked up that injury and had to be subbed off. Felt he executed that role fine, but with Jeffrey Schlupp, um, it was a disappointing performance, and feel like it contributed with um, with other factors as well to Wilf's performance because he needed help. It smacked to me of uh, hiding Schlupp from his defensive duties, because um, you'd expect if if those two Zahar and Schlupp were playing, as you say, they'd be one on each side. But it's obviously decided that um, we needed Zahar in front of Van Arnholt to. Um, to cover him and MacArthur covering Ward. So, I mean, if he doesn't back Schlott to do his defensive duties, then you've got to wonder why he didn't start with McCarthy. Um No, I, I completely agree. It, it does smack a little bit of, of hiding Jeff Schlupp. And I think the problem you have is that, as DR quite rightly pointed out, it didn't really offer anything going forward in support of Zaha when Zaha was on the left, barring a, a couple of little moments where he broke at a jogging pace. Um, I was trying to think of, referring to him in some form and I, the best I got was jog free schlup but it doesn't really work so I'm, I'm going to leave that alone for a while until something else comes to mind um, but he also didn't really protect Patrick Van Arnholt going back either because you know and I suppose it's not all his fault I'm not entirely sure there were times where he's in the middle there were times where he went over to the right and times when he was over on the left so it you know it was quite hard to keep track of exactly what he was being asked to do but you know for me and, I, and I'll now Mark colours to the mast on this completely. I mean, you, you lose Andros Townsend. I think Schlupp got dropped for, for good reason. He, he seemed to be struggling in a couple of games. 
I understand the trust that Roy's got in him, but I think it was a great opportunity to think, well, we're playing a team that like to play expressive football, so it would be good if we could try and keep more of the ball and keep keep them off it as, as much as humanly possible, as well as um, have our usual good shape and all that kind of stuff. And I think really that's what we lacked for the majority of the game was that that creativity. And it was too late by the time Roy decided to try and do anything about it because you know we just lost momentum. But I think there was it was crying out in that position left-hand side of central midfield to give Max Meyer another go. And we'll talk about his performance off the bench and what people thought about that. But that's how I felt. I thought that was a good opportunity for that. But alternatively, you know, Victor Camarasa being back in the fold. Again, people will quite rightly say, well, what have they done to, to, to win a place in the side? But I would quite... You know, forcefully say that you have to give people runs in, runs in the first team to see how they can actually do. It, it's it's unfair to judge if they if they're good enough for the bench and they're, they're good enough to to be considered to start in in the first team. And I just think either of those because Camarasa can play in either of those forward um, wing positions. Um, but for me, and, and obviously Mayer, Mayer can play in and around those sort of positions as well. But it just it's the trust. I know what it is with Roy. The trust in them doing their defensive job is why he won't do it. And the trouble is they're never going to get there if they're not given that opportunity to kind of learn what Roy expects of him in a, in a match position. And you don't have that luxury a lot of time in the Premier League. But I think when you get on on the end of a, of a defeat where you haven't created anything and you've it's kind of felt like a little bit of a damp squib by the end of it, I think that is where you feel that you've wasted an opportunity to try something a little bit different. And... I feel like that a lot um, when we lose, unfortunately. So there you go. Those those are my thoughts on on the the general slip decision, and obviously you heard from Mike there as well. Um, so obviously Vicente Guaita coming back into the team. I don't think anyone was surprised that he came back in when he was fit. Um, I think a lot of people were saying similar things that they felt just doesn't really almost didn't matter the fact that he made quite a few saves. Um, they just felt a little bit more comfortable with him back there, you know. And I, I'm one of those people. I still, you know, I totally get those people defending Wayne and all that kind of stuff. Fine, if that, if that's what you want to do. But for me, it, it felt better. It felt more organised. But we were still a little shaky defensively. And I, I did see one or two people suggesting that um, that uh, Guaita could actually be blamed for for either or both of the goals if you were going to judge him the same way you're going to judge Hennessy and. Interesting point. I don't know if either of you felt like that. No, I I didn't. But there are people out there who, are, because of the blame that Hennessy's got for his mistakes, there are people out there that are actually salty about it and are kind of turning on, not turning, but like every time Gaeta makes like a, let's say, a small mistake or questionable decision, when you look at the goals, they're trying to question it to say, oh, look, why are you guys not doing that against Wayne Hennessy? So there are people out there in our fan base that are starting to grow in numbers where if Gaeta does something questionable, they're going to say, oh, look, if Wayne Hennessy done that, then you guys would get onto him. So why not get onto Vicente Gaeta? I mean, it doesn't help both sides. It doesn't help Vicente Gaeta because he's a better goalkeeper than Wayne Hennessy, regardless of um, how many mistakes he does. He saved us many times this season and... Right now, even though we're not sixth anymore, we wouldn't even be ninth if it wasn't for Vicente Gaeta playing in a couple of games. Yeah, and I I totally get it. It all comes from a good place of people not liking a player to be, you know, to, to effectively become a scapegoat and be picked on. And we always seem, well, every club, it's not just our club, every club always seems to need one of those for when things are bad. Um, I suppose we all get trapped in those little um, 
sort of thoughts at times where we, we you know, I, you could argue I've had that for Jordan much in the past, and you can suggest maybe Jeffrey Schlipp at the moment, um, where I get a little bit fixated on the things that I don't think they do good, well, you know, well enough. But I don't know. It's, it's, it's an, it shouldn't really get petty that debate. I think it's clear that that Vicente Guaita is number one, and that's a good thing. And I think Wayne, when he came in, made some good saves and. Um, was it was a decent deputy? So let's leave it at that, I guess, from my perspective. Mike, I think that this uh, subject annoys people almost as much as just discussing VAR. So I think you're right that we should we should stop it. But what I will say is that IU uh, was pretty heavily disliked uh, for for a lot of last season, and he's turned it around. So you know, people can turn it around. Just that Hennessy has not done that in, over many years. Yeah, and obviously IU's done it by. First of all, being better than Christian Benteke, um, but mainly being committed and, and running himself into the ground for the cause. Um, and that's the cause, the Palace cause, not the Fort Irish rock band, the cause. There should be no point running yourself into the ground for them. I don't even know if they're a going concern anymore. I, 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 could, yeah, imagine, yeah. I could imagine Sorry. that Albert's a big fan of the cause. I think you're probably right, particularly Andrea Core, I think. Uh, not the man core. No one likes you'll, him. You'll probably be listening to him on holiday as usual. I guess he's still out there on holiday. But what I was going to say about Wayne Hennessy, I disagree. I don't think Wayne Hennessy could ever turn it. Even if Wayne Hennessy plays perfectly, is it the the fact that some people um, you saw? I think it was last season where he had good run of games and people still saying, oh, he's doing the basics. He's doing what he should do. There's always going to be questions like that. So with Wayne Hennessy, I don't think he could ever win at Palace. And whenever I talk about him, it feels like I'd say the same thing, but get rid of Wayne Hennessy because for the better of both Wayne and for both the fans as well, because I don't think both sides could ever work out. No, definitely not. I think, yeah, as, as we've said, I think it's time to move on from that one in a number of ways. Let's have a quick look at the goals. Um, obviously not great from a Palace perspective, but you know the first goals we've conceded from a set piece of the season against Arsenal were both terrible. Not much better uh, in the goal today, although not quite as bad, I would suggest. Um, so, obviously, we conceded a few chances, and this one came from Maguire to save, pushing it over the bar, from, I think it was from a Johnny Evans header. But um, So, the, this one, the, the ball comes in, it really could be cleared at the near post, but there's just no real communication there, and you're not really sure who's responsible for the shout. I mean, the keeper's got a shout. Coyote's got to shout, um, because PVA is the one who, who can't see what's going on behind him. He's facing the ball. Uh, in a near post position but you know again you look at the way the defence is set up for the corner most people aren't actually picking a player up by the time the ball is halfway across into the area everyone starts looking at a player but whether it's good movement from Leicester or poor defending from Palace or a combination of both most people do seem to lose the man that they're marking um, you know Guaita is expecting the ball to be cut out of the near post because it's not a great delivery PVA has has misjudged it. He's not realised that there's someone to clear it behind him because he hasn't presumably got that shout. And he's ended up flicking it onto the centre and uh, Soyuncu's in the middle to slot it home right from the central position. You know, Guaita hasn't moved enough to block it, even though it's right in the middle of the goal. But probably the most disappointing thing, maybe the most disappointing person, um, will be James Tompkins. When you actually watch how easy it is for Soyuncu to run off him because Tompkins is standing there looking at him, moves his head to look at the ball. By the time he looks back, you know, he's he's miles away. He hasn't he hasn't passed the passed the player on to another defender. Um and the two other players standing in the middle, which I think are Schlupp and Cahill maybe. Um 
neither of those are, are, are following the run either. So it's it's a real terrible, terrible uh, defensive display on that corner. And um, yeah, easy, easy goal for Leicester. I, I really don't understand why we've gone, why we're, we're going like so poor in corner, defending corners now. Like, why are we so poor? I, I, I just, it's so confusing, so baffling. I mean, it's two games now and we con- we've conceded three goals in two games from corners. It's, it's lack of communication. I mean, before the goal was scored, if you're looking at the Johnny Evans header, Johnny Evans got another header, which we sent to Gaita saved. And that was because Tompkins got there a bit too late. And it's hard to find someone to blame in particular for this goal until I saw a certain angle. And you could see that Cahill clearly is looking at um, Johnny Evans in the corner, which uh, Sonja just scored in. So it seemed like Cahill's role was to more pick up Johnny Evans. But then again, Tompkins should communicate that with Cahill and say, I've lost a man, go pick him up, pick him up. But it just doesn't seem like it's happening. And I mean, it's too much of a basic goal to concede. And what we've done so far this season, I mean, forget about the Arsenal game and the Leicester game, is that we, we've been good defensively. So if we lose that identity, then I'm actually very worried because we're not scoring goals left, right, centre, but we were defending well. And over the last two games, we've lost that. I think the... Um... The question we've brought up a couple of times before about whether uh, Tompkins and, and Cahill have, have totally gelled together yet uh, was something that I came out of the game wondering about. Um, on who scored.com, they both got fairly low ratings. And I know that I, I usually trust the ratings on there because they, they, they take into account, you know, how many misses, what percentage of passes, missed tackles, that kind of thing um, that the player does. So fairly accurate. And they both they both ended up with a 6.0. Um, and I, you do sort of wonder, you know, if Kelly had been there and, and the, the bromance between Cahill and Kelly, um, would, would things have, have been better? But you're not going to you're not going to get Tompkins and Cahill working together um, until um, they've played some games together. So it's a it's a it's a lose lose situation in that respect. Uh, but in terms of the goal, the, the effect it had on the game, I think everyone in the ground just knew um, at that instant that the first goal. Was was totally was everything for that game. We weren't going to get one back, and if we'd scored one, I think we would have won one nil. Um, so we're all sort of nervously waiting on for us to create some chances. Leicester scored it, and at no point after that did it seem like we were going to get one back. Yeah, it's an interesting point because I, I, you know, I very much felt the same, and it was. I think you know most of it was it wasn't just not just the the kind of history of this season where we haven't really been free scoring it was just there was nothing really going for us in that game in an in an attacking sense and you kind of looked at our ability to change it as well and you just know and I'm not trying to just dig Roy out for the sake of it but you just knew that there were options on the bench that he could try but you knew who he was going to bring on you know you knew that Benteke would come on for Ayu um you knew that that Camarasa was staying on that bench. Um, you knew James McCarthy would come on at some point um, for one of the other midfielders that he plays very like. Um, and I don't think McCarthy would have gone off, but but for the injury. But you know, and I think it was a bit of a surprise when when Max Mayer did like um, did warm up to to come on as well. But you know, I, I, I think he was kind of you know almost fed to the lions in some respect because it wasn't. There wasn't anything there for him. He was he was put on kind of in a in a left wing position, 
um, made some good early moves and just didn't really see enough of the ball to have an effect. And when he did, you know, he's he's almost expected to go from zero to sixty in in a, se- a couple of seconds and try and get up to the pace of the game where he's just I mean, he's just not played football for what is far 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 too long because you know plenty of games this season we've just chosen not to not to even give players minutes at, at the end of games let alone give them sort of 20 minutes half hour or maybe even start them on occasions so and that is the danger with with having a consistent squad and a consistent team if you don't play those if you just stick to the same you know 11 12 13 players the others will find it so so hard to make a meaningful contribution when it really matters and let's not forget that's exactly what Pardew did for uh, a good long time. Um, just want to bring up a comment from Aaron Mitchell on Twitter. Um, all I'm saying to my fellow CPFC fans is we've missed Kelly. Tompkins is still a valuable defender, but the partnership Kelly and Cahill have, have is sublime. Three games, no Kelly has resulted in one point and six goals conceded. Um, I wanted to bring that up, but I did want to also point out that the games that he's missed have been against incredibly tough opposition um, off the top of my head. Um, so it's Man City, Spurs, Leicester. I mean, realistically, you're not going to expect to get too much from those games. So um, it's, 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 it's hard yeah. to reach too much into the small yeah. amount of data that we're discussing here. Yeah, exactly. That is a huge factor. But it, it must be said that there is some truth in that in terms of just how good Kelly has been as you mentioned earlier, Mike, alongside Cahill, um, something of a revelation this year. I think there was a lot of concern having Tompkins and Sacco, who have been our first choice partnership for quite some time, um, out at the start of the season. But I don't think anyone would have thought that Kelly would be putting in the performance that he has. Because he's always been a reliable person to come in for a few games. But generally speaking, that, that's been it. But you know, when you start talking about missing him for injury and and potentially being first choice. I think that's a hell of a turnaround for him. And he's he's just been a proper squad player for Palace um, and a very, very good defender. Let's say Kelly's um, fit and Sacco's fit and they're all fit, Tompkins as well. Who who starts alongside Cahill? Because we've seen a bit of all of them now. Do you, Would you go with Sacco because he's the better player? Uh, or would you go with Cahill? I don't know, would you go with Kelly or Tompkins? What do you guys think? The best partnership I've seen still is Tompkins and Sacco. So it's a tough one, isn't it? I think, you know, we'd la- we'd lose a bit of the leadership that Cahill brings. Um, but I don't really, so far, I don't like Cahill and Sacco together as a, as a defensive partnership. But I think those are the two best centre-backs we have right now. Um, but in terms of who's performing best at the moment, it does seem to be um, Kelly and Cahill, but... Yeah, I, I have to go back to the tried and tested if everyone's 100% fit. Mike? I'd be happy with Sacco and Tompkins. I'd be happy with Cahill and Kelly, really. I, I just uh, I just have a, a slight issue about what worry about, as I say, about Tompkins and, and Cahill. But, you know, Cahill was not brought in to be... I wouldn't have thought he was brought in to be first choice. He's just uh, the same as I, really. He's just done incredibly well. Um, and until he, he gets injured, and I'm sure he will because it's Palace and everyone gets injured all the time, um, I can't see him losing his place. So it will be him and one other. For sure, yeah. Okay, um, let's talk about the, the second goal. So obviously we did try and change a few things. Um, obviously there were injuries and other bits and pieces as well, as well to, take of, uh, to take into account. But... I think, you know, DR hinted at it earlier on. It's a very, very good goal if you're a Leicester fan. So you've got, you know, as, as they're bringing the ball forward, lots of passes and Vardy's doing that horrible thing that he does and he does it to every 
centre-back partnership in the league, but no one seems to, for some reason, do anything about it. So he just stands between them and neither of them <laughs> do anything about it. Neither of them think, you know what? He's the only one up here in the centre, so maybe maybe I'll stick close and I'll, I'll communicate with my centre-back partner um, just to know that I've got him and, it, and he can focus on standing up and looking where the ball's coming from, that kind of thing. But for some reason, they just let him st- sit in between them. Um, so Tielemon gets forward, plays the ball into Gray. He does a wonderful dummy over it. And I think it's that that just just confuses our whole defence. And when you actually, you know, I freeze-framed it just before we started the show, watching it back on the um, Match of the Day 2 highlights, free-framed, freeze-framed it there. And you look at it, and there's Vardy in the box. And then there's a whole host of Palace players just looking at the ball. Not one of them is thinking... Let me mark that player. Let me keep an eye on that player, that one player who's likely to do something here. They're all completely transfixed by the fact that there's a, a dummy and a very, very quick one too. And um, it's a great ball back out by Vardy to Gray again, who just takes another step, drills it back. Vardy's now unmarked. The centre-backs have got caught running towards the near post. PVA is not close enough to, to get in on Vardy. And, and to be fair to him, shouldn't be. Because <laughs> there's no need for him to sprint and get involved there because there's two centre-backs to mark one player, but neither neither do it. Um, and it's just too easy a finish. And, you know, you could argue it's gone centre of the goal and Guaita might, might have done better. But it's all done very, very quickly. And he's hit it very, very hard. And that's it. Game well and truly over. And let's not forget... Um, after taking a bit of grief, <laughs> um, Jamie Vardy was uh, did a wonderful little eagle celebration, which which was annoying. Let's face it. I laughed. Um, it was coming. I I was talking. Uh, I was sitting next to Chris uh, Clark uh, at the game, and I was like, "Just get prepared, Chris, because we know what's going to happen. He's going to score, and he's going to celebrate like crazy." And it happened. I just had to laugh about it. That's why I'm probably not that much annoyed because we were asking for it. You know, you see what happens with um away fans when they annoy Will for example he goes and delivers and that's like Vardy as well if you go and annoy him he'll come and bite you and that's what you've done there, yeah, there's, there's a bit of footage I think we can play now um, but I do want to say this was actually sung after he scored um, so no we didn't that nobody stopped singing just because he did that um, and somebody pointed out on Twitter today that um, as, as smug as he was um, and justified as he was uh, that that weird dance thing he did, oh, it's pretty cringeworthy, and I'd, I'd I'd be disappointed with myself if I was him. Um, but yeah, so we have a listen to the uh, to the audio of what he was getting sung and how how annoyed he got over that. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. 
At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. So what I would say from that is that there's nothing wrong with being a slag. So I think that person that said that in there, uh, a bit naughty that, bit bit, bit 1980s. Uh, the rest of it was in pretty good humour. Uh, and also um, in the first half, we certainly really got to Schmeichel. Uh, really, really got to him. I've not seen, I've not seen a, a keeper um, so visibly annoyed by chance as he got, and they were pretty pure I or mindless chance as well that I, can, I probably can't repeat on this pod. Um, they t- they certainly did get to him. No, but I c- I can remember um, that particular chant also being sung at a certain Alex Bruce um, at Sellers Park, and that. That was met with, and that we were playing Ipswich that day. And it was, I've talked about a game before where we actually lost 4 1, but played really well. It was an incredibly bizarre game. But yeah, he got, he very much got, got, uh, got us back on that one. At one stage behind his back, was just did with his fingers, did 4 1 at us. And, but it's fun, isn't it? It's kind of, it's, it's yeah. half the, the fun of being in the crowd. It doesn't really matter when he gets rammed back in your face either. It's still funny. Um, just getting that reaction at times, but um, there we go. Now, very, very quickly, I want to talk about the um, substitutions that were made and, and whether or not we we feel that they were right. Um, so I've, I've mentioned earlier, it wasn't all, um, uh, you know, it was some of it was that some of them were enforced to put, give it its proper context because, you know, otherwise I'm not sure we would have actually used them all. <laughs> and it was, um, it was quite weird to see us in a position where, after that clash of heads, um, we kind of could have done with an extra sub, but we'd we'd used them all. I don't think we ever thought we'd be in that position with Roy. Does not like to delve to that bench too often, does he? But I think so. That the first change was um, was Coyote coming off for Max Mayer. So again, immediately, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of caught in the whole Jeffrey Schlup remains on the pitch kind of thing. So what we were really crying out for was a bit of energy and a bit of creativity. And I think perhaps possibly the right player, but we didn't seem to do that with any kind of conviction of what the what the plan was. It was almost just like chuck him on and see what he can potentially do. And, I, and I'm not really comfortable with that. We didn't really shift the system in any way that seemed to get a benefit. If anything, we played worse after it. Very quickly after we put Benteke on, um, which they later reacted to by bringing bringing Wes Morgan on just to to stop the fact that we were getting a little bit of joy from hitting the ball long and keeping it in the air. So very very easy for them at that point to to negate our tactics. And it's there I think that we get exposed. We just don't seem to know what to do. And whether or not you know I can't help but feel that it's totally valid to say that Roy has a problem with the squad in terms of his options to change things in games. And that is, but, but some of that is very much his own doing as well. Um, so I, I wasn't massively happy with the subs, but at the same time, you know, what, what, what more can he really do there? I think probably the the one that really grated, I think was the doubles. When you go the double substitution, MacArthur for McCarthy, just felt stupid. I thought at that, that moment, you're 78 minutes in, you've got to do something in the game. At that moment, why not chuck Camarasa on instead? Similar type of player, but just brings you that, you know, okay, defensively not going to give you much, but when you go on and concede anyway, it just kind of feels like, as I said earlier, a wasted opportunity once more. You spot on there and you took away exactly what I was going to say. Um, I mean, he is quite limited uh, on the bench really for 
for game changes. Um, and I think we're expecting a lot of, of Maya um, thinking that he can change things in 16 minutes or however long he was on. Um, someone posted on the back of the Nest Twitter today asking for people's thoughts on Maya's performance. And there's just reams, I mean, 40-odd comments of people basically all saying, well, he was only given 16 minutes, so why are you singling him out uh, rather than everyone else who played 90? Um, and that's probably spot on. Um, there really wasn't a lot he could do. Um, we weren't creating anything. And if, we, you know, if Wilf can't do it, then no one else is going to be able to, are they? All right. So I'll talk about May in a second, but I mean, the MacArthur for McCarthy sub, it, I think we're at a point now where it's clear that Roy doesn't trust Camarasa. Um, maybe it's the point that you made, Hambo, about him maybe not being able to fulfil the defensive duties, which mean a lot to Roy Hodgson. And I don't know if you guys saw it, but after the game, uh, Victor Camarasa actually posted something on Twitter. It was a cryptic message. He posted a picture of a lion and it said, don't stress. Do your best, forget the rest. I don't know what that means, but he's he's sending messages out there. I feel like he's he's had a bit of enough as well um, on a situation and not really getting a chance. He must be frustrated when you're 2-0 down and your manager's putting on a more of a defensive player uh, instead of you. And going back to Max Meyer, I mean... Look at this season as a whole. So he started the Everton game and then started the Sheffield United game, which he was very poor at. And um, he also started the Colchester game, which he was poor. Uh, he didn't play well. And apart from that, he hasn't really had that many chances. And uh, he came on for the Leicester game. So with the Leicester performance, I'm not going to go and blame Max Meyer for anything because as people said, it's, it was 16 minutes um, he came on for. He had that, um, that much time. But then again, I feel like when you do when you do have lack of chances and you do come on and everyone else is playing so poorly, that might have been a good time for Max to actually step up and um, stand out from the others to show Roy Hodgson that you know what, look, I can offer you something different. But he didn't re he didn't really do that. And there's different factors to it. I'm not saying that oh Max Meyer had the lots of opportunities and he all messed up. No, he didn't. But maybe he could have put himself more forward out there to pick up the ball and stand out from the others. But he didn't really do that. And if you're looking at this season as a whole, Max, when he has played, he hasn't been that good. And you're noticing that because before games, you'd see everyone, everyone when um, screaming on Twitter saying, oh, free Max Meyer, why is Max not playing? But even people, it seems like even people on our fan base have slowly given up on Max. I I'm not too sure if it was as we're in good run of form and we're all sixth, so there's no need for change. Or the fact that people just think that Max doesn't really have a future at Palace. So it's interesting because he does earn a lot of money. So a club really need to make a decision. Maybe if Roy is not going to play him and if he's going to get a contract extension, it might be more sensible to sell him on and get someone of more Roy's calibre and someone that he will give more opportunities to because that will help um, with the competition in the squad. No, I think you, you basically, in there, you've, you've really hit the real point. And the real point is that it's not about how good Max Mayer is. The simple truth is that Roy plays a system and he expects the players to fit in it. He's never really going to change the system to accommodate players, particularly players that aren't playing on a regular basis. So he undoubtedly, he's not stupid. He will recognise that Max Mayer has strengths as a player and 
there's certain systems that would suit him better than others. Similarly, he will think the same about Camarasa, and he'll think the same about all, you know, look at Christian Benteke and think, well, we could definitely set up to create more chances for Benteke, and he's more likely to score goals. But the truth is that he won't do that because he wants to play a certain way, because as far as he's concerned, and the evidence would back it up, to play, if you play the system the way he wants to play it, we will pick up enough points to stay in the league, which is his job. And that's it. That's the end of it, really. Um, so I think a lot of people like myself have kind of got to the point where I no longer expect Mayer to ever play or, and, and to ever, even if he does, he's never going to play brilliantly uh, for a consistent, let's, you know, because he's not going to play regularly enough and we're not going to play a system that suits him. Similarly, I'm not expecting Benteke to turn anything around because we're going to put in maybe two or three decent crosses a game at most. And that's not really enough for him to feed on and get his confidence back. And they're not expecting Camarasa to play because there's been ample opportunity to give him a chance and he's not giving him a chance. But what I do have an issue with is people making snap judgments. And people will, will argue it's not a snap judgment when Max May has been with the team, you know, over a year, you know, season and a half now. But if you just look at it, we've just never really given him the opportunities that he needs to play on a consistent basis in a consistent position. You know, we've got this weird fascination that of playing central midfielders in wide positions and avoiding wingers at all costs and all this kind of stuff. And it's just an odd way to play um, with the strength that you have in, in personnel that aren't playing. Um, but, I, you know, I can talk myself around in circles forever on that. I, I'm just in a place where I think people need to stop saying stupid, you know, exaggerated things like, oh, Mayer's a terrible player, he's hugely overrated, and just accept that, you can't possibly judge what he is as a player because we're just never going to play him in, in, in a way that would get the best out of him. And there's a number of players at Palace who will feel very much the same. I, you know, I think you can look at a fair proportion of the squad in the time that Roy's been there. And as much as a, a large percentage of the squad will say that Roy is a fantastic manager, knows how to treat them, he's a gentleman, blah, 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 blah. There's a whole bunch of players as well who just wouldn't feel that he's never, ever, ever given them or never, never will give them an opportunity that they deserve. So, But that's football. That's that's, that's how it is. Anyway, I talked for way too long there. Um, so let's let's leave the game behind a little bit. Um, although just before we do, is there any, any players that you want to pick out of note, uh, DR Mike, who you think that we haven't talked about or you want to just emphasise that you felt they did well or did badly or was it kind of just not really enough to stand out? I don't want to do this, but I'm going to do it. Um, Van Aanholt, I mean, he, I, I mentioned how Schlupp contributed to Wolves' play and I feel like PVA did as well. There was an occasion in the first half, for example, when the ball came to him and Wolf was open on the left-hand side and he decided to take a wild shot from outside the box uh, with the first touch and Wolf was seemingly frustrated from it. I mean, you have time, you have... Um, situations like that in games at times so no biggie but then in the second half he goes and does the same thing and shoots outside the box when Wilf is open and left now first of all it doesn't help Wilfred Zaha that he's getting triple team every time he has a ball and the one time that he is open that you don't pass the ball to him so I mean overall I felt like um, Patrick Van Arnold his decision decision making in the game was just 
poor. Um, there was an instance in the first half where the ball came to him um, and he decided to try to shield off Ayers of Paris and lost the ball and he, we need to concede it from it thanks to Luka clearance. So I felt like the decision-making from Patrick Van Arnott was poor, but um, other than that, I also mentioned how James McArthur, he had a man-of-the-match performance, so that's encouraging to see. So it wasn't all negative. Yeah, in, in a bid to not sound negative and people complain that we are usually, uh, I don't think anyone stood out and I don't think anyone I particularly wanted to pick out as, as having a having a, that bad a one. I think everyone was a sort of 6 out of 10. Kuate looked, uh, looked like he had a lot of aggression um, burst forward a fair few times, so I was... I was a little surprised that he was the one that got subbed, but you could see why, you know, if you want to have a go with a few minutes of creative play, he's probably not your man. Um, yeah, it was, it was just a nothing, more than any game I can think of in recent times, a, a nothing game in terms of discussion points. Um, and it, I was dreading a little bit thinking how we could get an hour's pod out of this, really. May have done all right. <laughs> but, um, look, I just, I, you know, I don't want to. I agree with the whole negativity thing. Look, it, it, it was, as you said earlier, Mike, disappointing to lose a game, and it always is when Palace lose. But I'm not that fussed about it, and I think that there were some some good signs in there. And I think overall, if you if you look at how we're doing at the moment, I'm always going to slightly bemoan the the system that we play, but I understand why it exists and why it works. I just, I personally find it a little hard to watch at time, and that. That really takes us into our, our, our next topic of discussion, really. So there's a few people got in touch on this and a, and a couple of tweets that we had as well. So there's a kind of debate over whether we're overachieving or not, and that kind of centres around the, the sort of idea that, that Roy Hodgson has worked wonders. Now, you kind of see that phrase quite a lot in the media, and I don't want to write it off because quite often it's, it is the neutral view, the people who don't have a horse in the race, who, who really do see the truth for what it is. You know, everything that we talk about is clearly through a filter of being Palace obsessives and wanting the very, very best and probably overrating some players and overstating the ability that we have. And, you know, in reality, when you when you take the statistics of points on the board, which is the most important one, you could certainly make an argument that Roy Hodgson is, is doing extremely well with this squad he's got. But the question is, has Roy Hodgson worked wonders? Has he have it, Has he gone above and beyond? And... You know, do we potentially have a better squad than than, pen, than people realise? When you start looking at the squad, and you start so first of all, you look at the goalkeeper we've got as first choice now, very very good goalkeeper, statistically one of the top performing goalkeepers in the Premier League. Um, we know we've got some weaknesses at fullbacks, but we've got a, a an, almost a glut of um, of top quality centre backs. We've got some very very talented midfielders and including a couple on the bench who aren't getting a sniff, but who, who have big reputations um, at, at quite young ages. Um, you know, the only thing we don't really have is a, is a you know, an exciting goal scoring sort of all performing striker. And you could say, so you could argue that we, we perhaps have, in, have enough in the squad to, to do more than we actually currently do. If we had perhaps a little bit more ambition. So where do you fall on that? Uh, which side of the coin do you fall, Mike? Well, I think there's only two real measurements of um, how decent a squad is. Um, that's the total, the combined wages, um, and the total cost. Uh, and it's it's quite hard. Everything else is a lot more subjective. So for the Arsenal game, um, somebody sat on Twitter, and I apologise, whoever it is, um, if you are a listener of ours, 
Uh, I haven't got your name in front of me. Um, worked out that Maguire, um, who we all bemoaned not being in the Leicester side because doubtless we would have won if he'd have still been playing for them, cost £80 million and now combined uh, starting eleven against Arsenal um, was around the £74 million mark. So uh, about the same as Pepe cost Arsenal, marginally more. Um, I'm not sure about the wages these days. I, I know back with the the, report, the reports from the I think it was a 17-18 season that we had the, the highest wages to turnover ratio. I think that that's probably considerably down on what it was, and it will go down again uh, in the summer. I'm sure of that. Um, so I'm not sure um, that we can say that we've got a stronger squad than we, we you know we think we do. Um, some of them are, are playing way above the level of what we paid for them. I mean, 2.6 million or whatever it was for IU. He seems like a striker worth a lot more than that right now. Um, you know, we've got Cahill on a free. Um, but I don't think you can say that we, we've got a squad that anyone would be scared of playing. Um, and I, if you look at it on paper, I, I can think of Norwich, Newcastle, maybe Sheffield United, who definitely are overachieving. Um, well, I wouldn't swap the squads around but most of the teams in the Premier League I, I can't justify that we've got a stronger squad than um, I, I, I think it, recently because we were sick full fifth and sixth for so long you know we got talked up a bit but a lot of teams are on very similar points um, it's going to be a tight old Premier League this season it's, it's looking more like a sort of championship style season other than the, the, the very top teams in the bottom ones um, you know it's a bit of a, a, a truncated points thing so I, I, I can see us you know being down the bottom and being up the top before the end of the season. I personally think that there's pros and cons to um, having Roy Hodgson as a manager. I mean, if you look at the defensive side of things, I feel like he makes players, because of the system that we play, some players um, actually play better due to um, due to the system and perform better. For example, Joe Ward, um, uh, Tompkins and Cahill and all the other defenders. I feel like we defend well as a team, which helps them. But then you look at the other side of the pitch and look at attackers, his system, I feel like, has a negative effect on them and they can't get the best out of them because there isn't that much freedom going forward. So I feel like it balances out. And, I mean, if you look at the players... Um, I don't think we have a top four squad, but I still feel like we've got very good players. And I was having this discussion last year on Love Sport. I think it was with um, Jake. And it just, uh, I put a question out there. I was saying, um, well, not obviously Chris Wilder, but I'll use Chris Wilder example. Let's say we had Chris Wilder as a manager. And where would we be now? Because we've definitely got a better squad than Sheffield United. Um, he'll, get the, he'll get more out of the attackers than... Uh, Roy Hudson would but then would the defence collapse and would that balance out like that so it's interesting I feel like it depends by manager by manager on how the players perform but I still feel like we've got decent enough squad with the right manager to constantly finish um, in the top 10 mm. Yeah I mean I, I, I get the point you're making Mike for example but I, I certainly think it's it's a better squad than perhaps you've given it credit for but obviously we don't all agree with each other all of the time and I guess that's that's kind of the point um, I do think there are clear weaknesses in it, but you know, for me, I, you know, I, I look forward, to, and I hate to say it, but I do look forward to the day that another manager gets gets a go with the same squad because I think there are more options there than we currently give it credit for. There's little doubt whatsoever that we do need at least a forward, if not more, um, and there's little doubt that we need to start doing a bit of surgery around some of the players on the fringes. 
need to move them on for their own good and our own good and start getting some younger, hungrier players through. But that's easier said than done. You know, they're just words. Actually carrying out those actions is a very, very tough thing to do. Um, but I think, you know, one of the things that gets thrown about, because obviously Roy is, is up for a contract renewal decision at the moment where the club are talking to him about staying on, uh, I assume it's just going to be kind of year by year. Um, but, you know, a lot of people who, who sort of talk about Roy in, in a positive sense, and, you know, I do plenty of times as well. He's, I maintain the point, he's a very, very, very good manager. And that's been proven over longer than I've been alive, quite frankly. But, you know, some for some people, the fear of not knowing who to bring in, not knowing who would definitely do a better job, and some people who kind of need that certainty, that, you know, that that's a really negative way to look at it. You shouldn't, fear, fear of the unknown almost shouldn't really freeze you from making a decision about the future because, you know, we do have decisions to make about our future and, and where we go from here. You know, and Roy can never be seen as a long-term option just you know, because of where he is in his career and in his life. So at some point, we've got to make the call as to what do we do next. Um, and to me, that's quite an exciting call to make. It doesn't have to be filled, filled with fear of, of who's doing what. I think right now, I would almost, I'm almost crying out to see someone come in with some fresh ideas and, and to be given that opportunity to go, to go and sign players. Because, you know, without going into huge amounts of detail and around, around speculation and all that, you know, Roy has had opportunities to sign players that he's chosen not to. Um, and and not all of those will be for the right reasons. And, um, you know, we, we could potentially have had a stronger squad than the one he currently bemoans. So, you know, I, I do have mixed feelings on that. I think what I fear the most is that, Hambo, I understand your point that if a new manager comes in, um, that they will, um, they might be able to get better out of um, some of our attacking players. But the thing is, right now, it seems like Roy is leaning towards a contract extension. And what I'm scared of is the fact that when his contract does run out and a new manager does come in, because of the lack of chance that Max Meyer's got and let's say Victor Camaressa, uh, Wilfred Zaha, all three of them players um, on paper, you'd say, you'd think that with the right system, they could be very good players. But what I'm scared is that we might lose them by the time a new manager comes in. And as a result, we won't be able to kick on. And um, that's, what, that's, that's the scary thing about it. So it's the fact that how long can we keep these players without them really getting, especially Max Meyer and Victor Camarasa, without them getting any real chances um, at, in the squad? That's a good point. I mean, it could be, could be that there'll be another player that's just as good that would get in their place, though, I suppose. It's like Hamber said, it's always about their fear of the unknown. Uh, but I do just want to bring up Eastern Eagle. And I actually remembered to ask people their thoughts on the game directly after the game. So uh, we got an absolute metric ton of replies. I appreciate, read them all. Um, they've all. They always come into us deciding what we're talking about. We can't read them all out just because we wouldn't be doing anything else. Uh, but thank you and keep them coming. Uh, but Eastern Eagle said, wanted us to discuss why our manager is so bloody unimaginative, predictable, defensive at every bloody home game we play. Is he so scared of the opposition that we have to have a back four that defends in our penalty box? Had enough now. Um, I mean, that seems a little a little harsh to me. <laughs> um, I can I can see why people are saying that they they feel things are a little bit negative at home, but 
let's remember last season we couldn't we couldn't buy a point at home, uh, and it seems like quite a big improvement this season. Definitely, and you know, Steve Foster got in touch and said very similar. He said, "Are we ever going to be proactive at home and play a system that's about our strengths and not nullifying the opposition?" You know, that's a statement that I personally feel quite strongly about. Um, I think there's almost two schools of thought on that. You can, and, and you know, I'm sure there are lots of in betweens as well. But you know, you do get you get managers who think all they were all they're concerned about is imposing their own system and their own strengths on the opposition. And you have managers who will think about how to stop the opposition. Now, obviously, it is a mixture of those two things in, in terms of what everybody does. But there's always seems to be something that's favoured as the you do this first, and then you earn the right to do that. And you know, it's uh, Roy is very much a stop the opposition first, and then try to earn the right in the game to to attack. And it just can be very very hard to watch, as we've talked about a number of times. Um, but you know, Steve goes on to say that Roy sets up every week to stay in the game and have a go when already down on nick a goal and hold the lead, uh, and it works brilliantly away from us. However, at home we should be setting up differently, in my opinion. And sadly, this sadly this will never change under Hodgson. Um, and I think you know to kind of counter that, Mike, you just go to the point you just made and how our home record has actually improved massively. So as much as I, I agree with the sentiment, Steve, I think you know at the moment. The, um, the points we'd be getting at, at Sellers Park. I think Roy has, has tweaked it and you know we're, we are seeing an improvement. I think it's very difficult to change things dramatically in, in a short space of time. Just quickly, I don't. I, I disagree with that. I mean, the home performances, um, I'm, the home results have improved, but in terms of how we played at home last season compared to how we play at home now, nothing has really changed. The only difference is the fact that Jordan Ayew has been more clinical in front of goal and we've still been the good defensive team that we've been. Like That's why, uh, I mean, if we're asking the question, of have we overachieved? I'm not too sure. But it, it, it's the fact that we've actually had a goal scorer in front of goal. That's the only thing that's changed. The system hasn't changed. We're still going to... I don't want to sound too, too negative, but we've still gone into games with the mentality, some games with the mentality of the away team. Uh, whereas if we, I mean, what game was it? Oh, was it Norwich or Wolves where we could have attacked them, uh, but we decided not to? Um, can you guys hear that in the background? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they were coming coming to get you for your exactly, opinion. yeah, for my opinion. <laughs> but yeah, like <laughs> we've we've had games where we've even though we've managed to get results, we've questioned um, the tactics because it hasn't really changed. So that's what I just want to remind people that nothing has really changed. It's just the fact that we've had a goal score. Well, I get what you mean, and we'll, I'll kind of leave you with the with the last word on that. But um, with the understanding that we're almost certainly going to be coming back to that to that topic of discussion throughout the course of the season, so we'll just have a really quick chat on the academy announcement, um, just to get our views on it, and then um, some quick fire listener questions before we end the show for you. Um, so very very quickly, most of you hopefully would have seen it already, or potentially at least heard about the academy plans. Um, the Palace are going to develop the site in Bromley um, to secure CAC 1 status. And the aim is for the commencement of the 2021 season. And it's subject to planning planning permission. Uh, the request has gone into Bromley Council. It's going in this month. I'm not sure if it's in quite yet. So it's the site. They had a, a long-term lease for on Cope, uh, Copas Cope Road in Beckenham, which is adjacent to the goals facility there. Um so they're going to do a massive expansion and all sorts of stuff there. So there's a campus um, 
style internal and external refits wall buildings, some new classrooms, lecture rooms and meeting spaces, new medical retreatment, rehabilitation, sports science facility and a restaurant, uh, new main pitch, a covered 3G pitch, a full-size floodlit 3G pitch and six additional pitches of varying sizes for various age groups. It sounds amazing. Um, and obviously it's a step up from the Cat 1 system that we've got in place, sorry, Cat 2 system we've got in place at the moment. Um, so new jobs for coaching staff, uh, just loads and loads and loads going on there. So then and the announcement came with some exciting plans and um, some lovely comments from Steve Parrish about uh, about what the aims are looking into the future and how excited that the club are about it, which is great to hear. Um, and generally speaking, was met with a lot of enthusiasm, but there was a few people who were kind of just, oh, yeah, well, we heard this about the ground and all that, and that's still, still. Not, nothing's happened on that and all that kind of stuff so it's an early reaction Mike and there was comments of why don't we spend it on players I mean you're never going to make everyone happy but to me it seems like the perfect legacy of um, the the Wan-Bissaka story um, you know him coming through the ranks and getting 50 million I mean certain certainly a decent amount of that should be spent on trying to get more players like that because it'll only take one player, one diamond in the rough player to, to totally pay for, for that entire thing. Um, not to mention it would be nicer if there was more opportunities when the under 23s or the women play, it's not a seller. If there's, um, you know, facilities for people to go and watch games more, that I think that would help as well um, from a, from a selfish perspective, from a fan's perspective. Um, I just I can't see I can't see a downside to it. I was interested that Parrish said that he thought it was actually a higher priority than the um, than the stadium being upgraded, um, which makes me think he wants people to put a dampener on their uh, their expectations on that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it seems to me that it, it's if you're talking about long term strategy um, for the club, this this makes perfect sense. I think there's. Brilliant players in South London, brilliant youth players. But of course, it's the fact that we have a Cat 2 Academy and um, that we haven't really been able to compete with the other London clubs. Um, but this will be a massive step if it does actually happen because it will help the players' developments. And um, also, as I said, it will make it attractive for the youth players to come and join Palace. Um, but I mean, I wouldn't, even if this does happen and let's say Roy is a manager, I wouldn't expect lots of youth players to be coming up to the first team but then again um, people have to also realise that when you do play a cat one you face better opposition so it will be better for the players developments in that aspect as well um, as well as the facilities there so I mean it will be massive positive um, as a whole uh, but only time will tell if that will actually help them um, get into the first team. Definitely right. Look, it's got, if you've got to, when you have a catchment area like we do, and I think, I think the statistics are there's like 14 players from the South London area. Um, I, don't know what, I don't know what the time frame is, but maybe 14 at the moment playing in the Premier League at first team level, something like that. You know, you think about the players who have grown up in our catchment area, you know, Sterling springs to mind immediately. Um People like I don't know Antonio. Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to think who else. There's loads. There's there's loads. I, I, this is, is San, I can't remember. There's some others anyway. Uh, lots of of big names that have started off as, as South London kids and, and have made it big already, and and plenty more in the pipeline as well. Um, and we should be able to to 
you know, take our share of, of our local talent. As it is at the moment, we are exposed if if bigger clubs want to come in at a, a younger age and take our players from us. And I know that there are a few we've lost, I think, under maybe under 14, under 15 and under 16 level in recent times um, that I've kind of picked up on here and there of players either going or, or being rumoured to go and it affecting them and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, we want to be in a position where players are are proud to play for Palace and proud to play at our facilities and playing at our, our training ground at the moment, which is actually, you know, there's been money spent on it, but it's still ultimately quite low key when you compare it to the kind of compounds that you get at places like Chelsea uh, and even Brighton, unfortunately, they've got a, a tremendous academy facility. Um, and, and, you know, Mike, you use the word legacy. That's exactly what it is. It is a legacy in a number of ways. It's a legacy for the ownership that we have at the moment. We'll hopefully see the, the way to our club being successful for years to come by developing their, their own talent and being able to keep hold of them um, and, and seeing them take us through. Because we all love it, don't we? When we've got a, a, an academy player comes through and he actually makes it big and becomes a first-team fixture and does really, really well, we absolutely love it. They, no one gets backing like, like one of our own. Um, so the more that happens, the better. Um, I was going to talk a little bit about the fact that, you know, do do we see it as a as a proper path to the first team? And, you know, does does Roy actually show, show signs of wanting to use youth, youth team players? Um, with Woods and Dreyer making debuts and signing um, new deals, example, that kind of stuff. But I want to end this kind of chat. You mentioned it, Mike, about the, the ground stuff and maybe you want to take attention away from that. But Steve Parrish did mention that the hold-up there, he felt, was Sainsbury's asking for too much money for a slither of their car park, or I think was the, to paraphrase the wording. Um, I don't know about anybody else, but I, I genuinely, <laughs> for the time being, while I ponder it, Stop shopping at Sainsbury's. Have that Sainsbury's. You can lose out on my money now. There's plenty of people on Twitter that were asking for a Sainsbury's boycott, but I'll go back to the same point I made to them. You come out of the stadium, you've had a couple of drinks. There's only one place you can be able to <laughs> get a can or two before you get on the bus. So they've got your money. It, it, it's all going to go great now, but it's all going to go to pot when you've had a couple of drinks and, and you need a couple of cans for the journey. Um, that's where I'll fall down, I'm sure. <laughs> Exactly. You can't take cans into the ground and hide them for later, can you? So you've got exactly. no option. Um, you can. So unless someone has got a, a what, where, a can, yeah. Maybe, yeah, you could hide what? it. It's very difficult. They search it. Well, then, mm. let's not get into that. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there's a potential business idea for someone to have a, like a mobile can shop, um, turn up after games. Just to save Mike from having to go into Sainsbury's. Please, yeah, please, anyway, do people, um, please get that that underwear. <laughs> I might do that. So, quick questions. Anyway, uh, Mark Drew's got in touch saying we need a striker to score a goal, um, a goal or two. We'll go one nil down. We've got no goal threat. Well, that's not really a question. That's just a point, and hopefully, we've covered that for you today, Mark. Agree. Finding one's probably the tough part. Uh, perhaps a bigger subject than we've got time for. But Harry um, has got in touch. Harry Cambridge. And said uh, how the atmosphere has dwindled this season. Do we see it that way, Jens? Yes, 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 yes. And this is one subject... Elsewhere in the stage? Uh, no, this is one subject that's actually bugging me because I've, I understand... Oh, I'll talk about this more on Love Sport. You know what? That could be a promotion for the Love Sport pod. But yeah, um, <laughs> yes, it, okay. it has declined. 
All right, we'll check out uh, DR's views. Love Sport Tuesday, eight till nine PM. Podcast will follow shortly after that. Yep. Mike, all I'd say is that my ears ring after every game. Um, so it's obviously the acoustics of the stadium, but it is damn loud um, in row twenty-four of E Block. I can tell you that. Yeah, I suppose there's an argument that um, moving all the singers together has created a loud area in one place and the other areas of the ground that used to have some singers have now suffered. But I think that's kind of the point of getting like-minded people together and hoping it will spread. I think perhaps the bigger issue is people expecting things to make a massive difference straight away. But all I'll say is if you you know, you've, you've, it's within your own gift to to improve the atmosphere if you if you so wish um if, if you'd much rather listen and judge other people about the atmosphere that's that's also entirely within your own gift and i make no comment or judgment either way um you know just when i'm at games I, I like to try and get stuck in and get involved but everyone is different in how they want to go and watch football and, and they have the right to do that um dan um also got in touch said should zaha have been sold early in the summer and replaced with two options uh very quickly mike and dr how do you feel about that could if we had sold zaha the only option really was to sell him for probably maybe 40 or 50 million is that something that you'd like with with hindsight you'd kind of wish we did and maybe spent that money on two other players uh no um wilford zaha is just a tremendous talent and i'll try to keep him as long as we can uh, yeah, no, absolutely not. Uh, maybe, maybe Andre Ayew. Uh, so we had two Ayews would be my only suggestion. <laughs> well, two other clubs have tried, haven't they? I suppose Swansea and Villa have tried both Ayews in one go. But maybe now one's getting on so well at ours, we can make the other one good again. Who knows, eh? All right, brilliant. Thank you so much to everyone who got in touch. As Mike suggested earlier, we just couldn't get to it all, but we we try to pick as much of a selection as we can. Make sure you do get in touch on uh, WhatsApp, as mentioned earlier in the show. Uh, you want to check the details there. Um, preview show will obviously be back. Hmm, have we got a game this weekend or is it next weekend? I forget. It's this weekend against um, Chelsea. Yeah, yeah, that's it, Saturday. Yeah, so there you go. So we'll be previewing the, the team. We'll be previewing the Chelsea game on Thursday. Uh, it's good. It's good to work things out whilst you're recording, isn't it? Um, so do check that out as well as the Love Sports Show we mentioned earlier, eight to nine PM Tuesday. Um, thank you very much, Mikey, for producing. To Mike and Dr for joining me, and we'll see you again next time. Bye now. It's the ninetieth minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.